Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees, promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One day, not too far off, there'll be an inquiry into the UK's handling of the pandemic. But another, less local inquiry is already underway. A team of 13 scientists led by the World Health Organization has arrived in a Chinese city in Wuhan. They're tasked to investigate the origins of the COVID-19 virus. The world wants to know, where did this terrible thing come from? And once we find it, can we please brick up the back cave to stop it from getting out again? Beijing's been reluctant to agree to an independent inquiry and it's taken many months of negotiation for this access to be allowed. Next week, the World Health Organization will release the full report from its COVID-19 fact-finding trip to China. But the omens for a full investigation are not promising. When we approached the Wuhan lab, they didn't answer our questions. It's like it's a detective movie. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, failures of state... Part 3. The Origins of COVID-19 Earlier this week, Manveen spoke to the Sunday Times Insight team about what went wrong in the UK. What happens next? We need to learn from our mistakes, which were many, because I think we all accept that this might happen again sometime in the future. Today, Jonathan Calvert. Hello. And George Arbuthnot. Hi, David. Good to see you are talking to me about one more possible failure of state, this time halfway around the world, in the hope that next time, heaven forfend, we might be better prepared. The question of exactly where the virus mutated into life is perhaps the most difficult part of the whole story to get a definitive answer to. And yet, we humans crave certainty – that may be why screen pandemics always have lovely, neat, linear causality. Once we know the r not, we'll be able to get a handle on the scale of the epidemic. So it's an epidemic now. An epidemic of what? In the 2011 film Contagion, we see a bat sneeze on a pig. Somewhere in the world, the wrong pig met up with the wrong bat. The pig becomes pork and ends up in a Hong Kong restaurant kitchen whose chef shakes hands with Gwyneth Paltrow who takes the virus home to Matt Damon. What happened? Did you take too much of that blue shirt? Case closed. A few days ago, we had an accident at our Singapore facility. In the 2007 ITV drama The Whistleblowers, it's not nature to blame. Two of the lab workers came into contact with the corona X-Virus. This time, a lab run by a shady pharmaceutical company has accidentally leaked the Corona X virus. He knows why Corona X is here, he's just not saying. A real-life TV interviewer making a strangely luminous cameo performance seeks some answers. 
future. Professor Lewington, we've been told that our greatest threat comes from a bird flu pandemic. Now, Corona X is grabbing the headlines again. How worried should we be? No one is denying that Corona X is not a real cause for concern, but it is outrageous that this climate of panic is I being allowed to I develop. See every bed in every ICU being Lewington's occupied line. by a Isn't victim he? of Corona X. I, can I see think so. The Simple in drama, in real life more complicated. So what do we now know, and what can we ever know? The SARS and Ebola crises have certainly shown that deadly viruses could emerge from the kind of zoological melting pots in more temperate climes and infect humans. Luckily, those outbreaks had nothing like the impact that COVID-19 has had, but certainly experts had warned of the dangers. This is one of those areas where it's surrounded by all kinds of speculation and conspiracy theories which suit this person or that person or just that people take a fancy to. So separating the things out is really, really complicated and your book deals with this in a very interesting way. So let's start at the beginning. You write that while the UK was initially complacent about the risks of a novel virus, China wasn't because they'd had direct experience of SARS in 2002, 2004. What happened with that SARS outbreak? Well, the full name is Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. SARS infected 5,300 people in China and killed 349. And it was believed to have surfaced in markets via wild animals that had come from the south of the country. It first emerged in a city to the southwest in the middle of November 2002, and it went on to reach 29 countries across the world, including quite a major outbreak in Toronto, Canada. This week saw the galloping rise of SARS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And as the disease spreads to North America, the consequences are multiplied. There were four suspected cases in the UK. What little we know about this coronavirus so far is that it appears to be spread most often from droplets. Had China let everybody know at that time that they had this outbreak and that they were worried about it? The Chinese authorities didn't really cover themselves in glory. Why had there been no warnings, no alerts? The disease had been festering for months in southern China. This first started in southern China, in Guangdong province, in November. And the first that anyone from China even mentioned this was not until late February. There was a secrecy blanket placed over it. The authorities are alleged to have ordered doctors to downplay the scale of the epidemic. An enormous cover-up. As one WHO official put it to the New York Times... In December and January, it was dead silence from China. At one point, and this is alleged... They were literally taking SARS patients, loading them in buses, and driving them to hotels immediately before the investigators from the World Health Organization would show up. And who wasn't actually officially informed about the outbreak until five months after its emergence? It continued for about two years before fizzling out. The last case detected and isolated in Taiwan was June the 15th. The World Health Organization can say that the SARS outbreaks have been contained worldwide. By then, it had reached 29 countries and killed 774 people. It was researchers at this Hong Kong lab who first identified what was then a mystery virus. It will come back if you open up all the wildlife markets in China again. And you can see that things always repeat itself. 
In April, China apologized to the world for not being more open about SARS. Several Chinese officials, including the Minister of Health, lost their jobs. Okay, so China has, I presume, a particular reason to try and find out where that SARS epidemic had begun and to see how anything like that might happen again. And it's this point where we introduce Professor Xi Zhengli. Can you tell us a bit about her and what she begins to do? She was charged with trying to find out how it had started. She took a leading role in the Wuhan Virology Institute's investigation into the theory that the virus may have originated in one of South China's many bat caves. So she's uh, nickname is, is Batwoman. In 2004, there was developing research that linked bats to many viruses that affected humans. Is there something about the physiology of bats that lends themselves peculiarly to uh, this transmission? Well, they're very common, bats. They're the second most common mammal in the world after rodents. They're known to carry a diverse range of viruses, and they can take on more than one virus at once, and so they kind of become mammalian blenders for viruses. And the thing about bats is, obviously, they can fly, so they can take the viruses quite long distances and spread them. It does make you wonder, doesn't it, whether or not that what seemed to be an irrational fear of bats in humans actually has some kind of evolutionary origin. <laughs> so, bats are the prime suspect now, and Professor Shi Zhengli is investigating. Then what happens? And they found that there was a cave in the remote mountains on the far eastern edge of the Himalayas, where they discovered a strain of coronavirus within a bat which had all the genetic building blocks of SARS, and that would eventually be used as clinching proof that SARS had indeed begun in bats. It's like a movie, isn't it? it yeah, it is. It's like it's a detective movie where they cast this huge net and then they gradually narrow it down, narrow it down until they find the, the killer. So, in search of this, in 2012, this latest part of the detective story, in the spring of 2012, she gets a phone call. She gets a phone call to say that there's been an unusual incident, not far from where they're working, something like 200 miles from where they're working in the caves. It concerns a copper mine near a place called Tongguan. Something odd has happened in the copper mine. It was disused, but six miners had been sent to clear it out, and there was a big colony of bats in there. While they were cleaning out all the guano, these six miners became so ill that they required hospital treatment. They had shortness of breath, they had coughs. And when they went into hospital, the doctors found it was some sort of pneumonia disease that they'd never seen before. Presumably they were tested for SARS. So they were tested for a raft of things, actually all sorts of things, because they really didn't know what it was. They weren't found to have SARS-CoV-1, the original SARS from 2002, but they were found to have antibodies to a coronavirus which had never been identified before. That's interesting. So you can see the antibodies in them, but you don't know what the thing is that they have the antibodies against exactly. No, all they knew was that it was a coronavirus. They'd obviously picked up a coronavirus in the cave. Three of the miners actually died from whatever it was they picked up in the caves. Three others survived, but they did have actually kind of long-term effects with their breathing, etc. And so since this was exactly the sort of thing that Xi's team were, were investigating, they went over to the mine to see what they could find. 
So Xi Zhengli gets told this, and she and her team from the Wuhan Institute of Virology that you've been talking about are apprised of the story. So what do they do? Well, they go and they spend around about two years visiting the caves. They put a big net outside the opening, and when the bats fly out in the evening to do their feeding, they catch lots of bats, and they take all sorts of faecal samples, which they then freeze and then send back to the virology lab in Wuhan. And they found 152 genetic sequences in the cave for coronavirus from six species of bats in the mineshaft. And two were of a strand that was the SARS strand. But they weren't SARS. They were just of the SARS strand. And one of them stood out because it was a new strain of coronavirus, which they'd never seen before. So they took a sample of that and then they sent it back, as they did with all of them. Just one quick question. How do we know about what Xi Zhengli did? I mean, we've talked about the tendency towards secrecy and not sharing with the Chinese authorities, but now we have a much fuller picture. Has she given lots of interviews? Has she written much about it? Is a lot of this stuff now in the public domain? No, I mean, it's, it's quite extraordinary for people to die in China when those deaths to be linked to a new coronavirus, SARS-style coronavirus, would have rung alarm bells right across China if, if it had been made public. But there was a complete news blackout. We cannot find any contemporaneous reporting in the national or local media of, of the tragedy in the mine at all. The first public mention of the mine was in a scientific paper by Xi and a team three years later in 2016 when they revealed some of the findings of their studies within the mine. But remarkably, that paper does not make any mention of the fact that anyone had died in the mine at all. The only reason we know about it is because we were able to piece together a lot of detailed information about the deaths from a master's thesis by a young medic at the Kunming Hospital, um, who was called Li Zhu, which we had translated into English. And then there's also a thesis which was carried out under the supervision of the head of the emergency department um, at the hospital. So they gave us a real in-depth picture of what had happened to these miners. The whole idea that <laughs> of getting whole scientific documents retranslated out of Chinese, when actually for most of them couldn't read them in English, even if they were in English and so on, but even knowing which ones to do, I, 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 I take my hat off to you, I really do. <laughs> wow. When she goes off and she writes it off up in China... So this is essentially a new strain of coronavirus. Yes, and you would have thought they would take a lot of interest in a new strain of coronavirus, especially as that cave where it was discovered it had been linked to a pneumonia-type illness. The whole point of the Xi team project was to find what had caused SARS, which was a pneumonia-type illness. But the paper doesn't really make anything of it. And according to the Wuhan Institute... They didn't do very much with it after that. They just recorded it and sequenced the genome, but that was about all. And that's, we've always found very hard to believe. And have you explained it to yourself? Because common sense suggests that if you think that mind might tell you an awful lot about the potential creation of a new viral strain inside your own country, that you would want to know all about it, even if you didn't want to take the blame for it. And I'm finding it hard to understand why they wouldn't. When we approached the Wuhan lab, we asked them specific questions on that. I mean, had, had they been back? I mean, particularly since the COVID-19 pandemic began, had they been back to check it out? They didn't answer our questions. But we, we do know that the BBC sent a team 
down to the area around the mine, but there was a huge roadblock. It might seem odd that journalists find it so difficult to report on the science that took place in a cave somewhere down there some years ago. But all of this may be proof that China has now decided it needs to control anything that may relate in any way at all to the question of the origin of the virus. It may well be that there is a team down there doing work on it, but they're certainly not keen to be open about it if they are. Right. So Xi Zhengli and her team go back to Wuhan and to the lab. Investigators say they're dealing with a new type of coronavirus, placing it in the same family as severe acute respiratory syndrome, or SARS. And the question then as now is this, how worried should I be? We're going to come up to December 2019, and the first sign there's been an outbreak in Wuhan. How does Xi Zhengli get involved in this? So she was at a conference in Shanghai, the end of December 2019. She received a call to say that there was a new coronavirus on the loose, and it had surfaced in Wuhan, and she was told to get back to Wuhan sharpish. Coming up, what Xi Zhengli did next. Get to the heart of the stories that really matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So Xi Zhengli from the Wuhan Institute gets a worrying phone call. There's been an outbreak of this new virus and she rushes back to Wuhan. What does she do? She was puzzled and worried that the outbreak had begun in Wuhan. She's done an interview since then, which has given us an insight into how she was first alerted to it. And so 
She says that I'd never expected this kind of thing to happen in Wuhan, in central China. And she returned immediately to check whether it had come from their lab or not. This is the very end of the year, December 2019. And one of their first jobs is to establish what they're dealing with. On the telephone call when she was at the conference, she's been told by the Institute that they believe it's a novel coronavirus that's causing these pneumonia-type illnesses in Wuhan. And so she checked all the records of the coronaviruses that she had in the Wuhan lab and was relieved, she says, to find that none of them matched the new virus we know as COVID-19. So essentially, she looked at what the people in Wuhan had got. She mm -hmm. says she looked at what they had in the lab and said they weren't the same. They weren't the same thing. That's essentially yeah. what she was saying. Yeah. yeah. So what she's saying, she couldn't find a match for it in the lab. So it's not ours, Gov. Exactly. And so in an interview she gave, she said she was enormously relieved to find out that it wasn't something that had been in the Wuhan lab. Now, I remember very well right in those last days of January where we weren't at all sure what was going on. We were getting the information out of China. But one thing that we were told, not least by WHO people, was that the Chinese were being very cooperative and they'd sequenced the genome and they put it online in January because they were wanting to cooperate with the world and so on. And then on the other since then, there are reports that actually they were involved in trying to minimise what had happened and so on. This is very confusing. Can you sort that one out for us? Well, they did sequence the genome, but there wasn't much openness in the process. It was sent to the Shanghai Public Health Clinical Centre Laboratory, which did the sequencing and had a sequence of this new virus by the 5th of January at the beginning of last year. The Shanghai Centre then passed it on to the country's National Health Commission and urged it to recommend that the relevant prevention and control measures be taken in public places because of the severity of the symptoms that they were seeing. But nothing was done, and the genomic sequence wasn't released to the international science community, which was quite important because by releasing it, it meant that people could actually start making a test for the virus. So on the 11th of January, the scientists had took the law into their own hands and they released it themselves, but the clinic that leaked the information was then closed down by the Chinese authorities for rectification, which is a term they use when they re-educate employees or institutions after they've incurred the wrath of the communist leadership. So they were punished, and they weren't opened for a long, long time after that for leaking this sequence. And so there wasn't an awful lot of openness. And, and actually, one of the key things that was held back in those early days was the fact that there was human-to-human -human transmission. I mean, it was obvious because the doctors in the hospitals in Wuhan were contracting the, the infection. But they did not tell the World Health Organization for about three weeks after they first realized they were dealing with a coronavirus so these are the three weeks from the end of December to yes, the yeah, middle end of yeah. January. Right. Okay. We can't know because the Chinese government won't even admit to any of this, let alone tell us what the reasoning was. So we have to try and kind of figure it out for our, ourselves. It can't be that their reticence was due to the idea that somehow they could hide that this thing had happened because they were already being told that the virus was on the loose. They wouldn't know how bad it was going to get. So presumably, what they were doing was hoping in the first instance that it would turn out not to be too bad, because they must have known that if it did turn out to be bad, there's no hiding it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I suppose they probably hoped that it would turn out to be similar to what happened in the mineshaft, where if 
few people died, but it was contained and they were able to impose a news blackout on it and nobody was any the wiser. So actually, the Chinese scientists who did actually share the genome sequencing did the Chinese government a huge favour, even though the Chinese government weren't prepared to allow that. That's right. It was an incredibly important thing that they did, and they were incredibly brave to do it. And it'd be interesting to know a bit more about what had happened to them since. Mystery surrounds the high-security lab at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. The Wuhan Institute of Virology is a maximum security lab that handles the world's most dangerous pathogens. Or to meeting with all the key people here and asking all the important questions that need to be asked. WHO experts had little to say to the media as they went inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Yuan Zheming is the director. So you're 100% confident there was no leak, no accident? Oh, I'm confident there's no leak. 100%. 100%. I think it's a good moment to talk about that lab, what it is and what they've got there and what they do. They were doing experimental work there, which is called gain-of-function work. They were trying to understand how some of these coronaviruses could become more infective. And so they were kind of splicing bits together to make them more infective. And this is obviously very, very dangerous work which is also very, very controversial if you talk to many scientists. I mean, although it's well-meaning because it's there to help our understanding of how a virus might become more infective. These things have to be kept under guard and not be allowed to leak, etc., because they'd be very dangerous if they got out into the population. Well, there seems to me there are two issues there from what you've said. First, the question of this gain and whether or not it's a good thing to do. And I imagine that this is one of those things that there's a scientific dispute about, and some scientists want to do it because they think they find out things from it, and other scientists are worried about you doing it and something getting out. Is that broadly it? Yeah, that's probably true. And scientists are split on it. Some think it is safe to do it in secure lab conditions. Some people would argue that laboratories can never be 100% safe. In fact, it was in America they banned this sort of work in 2014 because there was such concern about it. But they've done it right the way up until then. Yes. So that brings us to the second point, which is levels of security. Now, insofar as you can have a total level of security, never 100%, How secure was Wuhan? The Wuhan Institute of Virology was bio-level 4, which is the safest level there could be. And it it was a new centre which had just been created. There were only 31 of them in the world, and this was China's first. And so this was created around about 2017. There was concern expressed at the time about the Wuhan Institute because... One of the things that people would say about it was that in a totalitarian regime, workers at the Institute would be frightened of speaking up if they found that corners were being cut or there were problems. And there was a concern about the culture within the place. Yeah. In January 2018, the US embassy in Beijing sent some scientists with diplomatic status down to Wuhan to inspect the laboratory. They met she and members of her team Details of their findings were found in US diplomatic cables that were leaked to the Washington Post. One cable said, uh, the researchers showed that various SARS-like coronaviruses can interact with ACE2, the human receptor identified for SARS coronavirus. This finding strongly suggests that SARS-like coronaviruses from bats can be transmitted to humans to cause SARS-like diseases. So that confirms the gain-of-function work. 
They also added that during interactions of scientists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, they noted the new lab has a serious shortage of appropriately trained technicians and investigators needed to safely operate this high-containment laboratory. Right. Um, I suspect that some inquiry will go into what was actually meant by all that. So we have this incredible laboratory, one of 31 around the world, China's first and so on. As far as we know, and you've talked to a whole lot of scientists, what do they say that the Wuhan Institute had been doing with the virus from the cave, to go back to that? So we spoke to Peter Daschak, who's a scientist who's been working alongside Xi's team, and he'd been helping them hunt down viruses in Chinese caves for 15 years. He's a fierce defender of the Wuhan Institute and dismisses all suggestions that COVID-19 could have leaked from the laboratory. When we asked him about that, he, he said that the lab hadn't done any more work on the mine sample after 2016. But other scientists found that very hard to believe. We spoke to Nikolai Petrovsky, Secretary General of the International Immunotics Society. He said it was simply not credible that the Wuhan Institute would have failed to carry out any further analysis on the mineshaft virus. It just didn't make any logical sense that they would just leave it in storage in that way. Right. Okay. Now, let's preface the next bit of this discussion with a kind of general observation, which is that whenever you get an outbreak, somebody says it came from a lab. It's absolute routine, partially because... As anybody who's interested in conspiracy theory knows, people prefer the idea that somebody made the decision for there to be an outbreak or carelessness caused the outbreak rather than something in nature creating an outbreak which you then can't control. So that's the kind of background to this one. So I'm presuming that as you went into this question, you thought to yourselves, hmm, we can see some of the dangers here. Well, laboratory leaks aren't uncommon. In the past, Ebola and the fatal bat disease, Marburg, which kills 9 out of 10 people, have escaped from BSL-4 laboratories, um, which is the highest level. In fact, the American health authorities recorded 749 laboratory safety breaches in the six years up to 2015. And nine people were infected by SARS in 2004 after safety breaches at China's National Institute of Virology in Beijing. So they're not uncommon. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that something could have leaked from a lab. We don't know for certain it did leak from a lab, but it, it should be one of the several possibilities that should be looked at. Because what is quite extraordinary about this particular case is that you have the World Centre for Investigating Coronaviruses, and then you have a thousand miles away, the place where everybody, the World Health Organization, the scientists, the Wuhan Virology Institute, all say is the most probable place where the virus was created, which is in bat caves in South China. And if you imagine that, that's the distance between London and Belgrave. It's a huge distance. And yet, for some reason, of all the places in the world the virus ends up starting in Wuhan. So there's an enormous coincidence. And so it, it's not inconceivable that there is a link. And it must be an open question that should be investigated. How close was the virus that they found in the mineshaft to what we now know as COVID-19? So that emerged on the 20th of January 2020, when she had written a scientific paper in which she had assessed the COVID-19 virus 
she'd been comparing it to all the other viruses they had in their stores. And sure enough, the closest known match that she could find then and, and has since been found was actually the Mineshaft virus, which turned out to be 96.2% similar to the SARS-CoV-2. Okay, essentially where we've arrived at, there are two, and there are probably more, you'll tell me there are probably more, but two main ways of understanding how the pandemic might have started. Now, the one which most scientists seem to adhere to is it starts off in a cave somewhere, some other animal possibly gets infected, that ends up in the Wuhan food market. In that context, it makes the jump to humans, that human infects other humans. Wuhan's an incredible center of trade and travel, and we get the pandemic. And that seems to be, broadly speaking, what most scientists go for. And you've got a WHO team has made its first trip to Wuhan to try and get more concrete evidence. And then there's the suggestion that it might have been brought back somehow or developed within the lab. And then because of poor security in that particular laboratory, it somehow escaped and got possibly to the nearby market, which after all was not that very far away. Are there any other theories that I've missed out there which are important before we begin to evaluate what we can say about either one at this stage? That's broadly the two, although certainly the market theory of it coming from a animal that went to the Huanan seafood market has actually been discounted by the Chinese authorities themselves because once the Chinese authorities had taken samples from all the animals at the market, they found that they'd all tested negative for the virus and therefore they began working on a different theory which was that the market had helped to disperse the disease but had not been where it had originated in Wuhan. The Chinese authorities and Chinese state media have other theories they have been putting out the idea that the virus might have been imported into the country or from another region of China in frozen meat. I'm sorry, this last one sort of slightly defeats me. You have a virus which is similar, though not the same to the exactly the same as the K virus. But the idea is that somehow or other, this same thing is imported into Wuhan from outside the country altogether. That'd be bad luck, wouldn't it? Cameras followed these investigators everywhere they went. The Chinese press laid up how the WHO investigators have been checking cold storage units while visiting the markets in Wuhan. The work that has been done on the virus continue to point towards similar viruses in bat population. However, the findings suggest that the laboratory hypothesis is extremely unlikely now, the World Health Organization is investigating. They had people in Wuhan last month. As far as we know, how has that been going? Peter Ben Embarak, who led the investigation, gave a press conference and said it was extremely unlikely that the virus leaked from a laboratory. And this provoked lots of international criticism because it's very difficult to definitively say that. I mean, the point is it could be any of these things and why rule out any of them? Suddenly they started talking about the possibility it was brought into the country by frozen meat. I mean, again, the thing about the investigation is the investigators weren't allowed in there for a year after the pandemic mm. started. One of the things we were concerned about was when we saw that Peter Daszak had been included in the World Health Organization's investigation team 
because he seemed to be clearly conflicted because he'd done a huge amount of work with Xi and the, and the Wuhan Institute. And so his professional reputation would be damaged if it turned out that the Wuhan lab had been the, the source of the pandemic. And certainly he told us in June that the mineshaft virus had not been worked on since 2016. But in the meantime, it had emerged that, in fact, the virus had been worked on through 2017 and 2018. So what he told us hadn't been correct. And so we were certainly concerned when he became one of the major spokesmen for the WHO investigation. Good afternoon. Today we're going to take a look inside the WHO-China joint mission. The World Health Organization publishes the full report from its investigations in China next week. But two days ago, a few members of the WHO team held their own public meeting at a virtual Chatham house. I'm convinced we're going to find out fairly soon. Within the next few years, we're going to have real uh, significant data on where this came from and how it emerged. That's Peter Daszak. I've also not seen any evidence of an accidental lab leak from the lab. I mean, it's a really important point. There is no actual evidence of a lab leak from any of the labs in the vicinity. There's just a circumstantial geographical proximity of those labs to the centre of an outbreak. That's it. So if, if that's the evidence we're basing it on, what can you do? From what you're saying, it looks quite likely that we won't get any very clear answer about the origin of the virus. So are you allowing yourselves any kind of personal belief about how the virus originated? Well, I think we were certainly very struck by, you know, if you look at it, at a kind of stand back and look at it in a very simple way, at that extraordinary coincidence that of all the 662 cities in China, the pandemic happened to start in the one city where the only known sample of the closest known match to the COVID-19 virus was being stored. And in that laboratory, they were doing experiments to make viruses more infectious to humans. And what we find slightly baffling is that when she was trying to find the origins of the original SARS outbreak, she went to the place where the closest known match to the virus was and then searched in those caves exhaustively to try to find the exact match for SARS. But they seem to have completely abandoned that, that successful approach that made her name in the scientific world. And so, you know, we can't be certain where it started, but all those things do raise serious questions in our mind. Sure. Uh, serious questions is an interesting way always of putting it. There always will be serious questions. I know that if there were a scientific consensus on this, it would be, yes, we don't know, but we don't think it came from the lab, because that's what they tend to say. What is their best argument against what you've just said? <laughs> it's almost as if scientists cannot conceive of the idea that the type of experiments that they do might be dangerous to the rest of the world. Because it's very difficult to present an argument that's the counter to it. They would say, of course, that the virus comes from a cave, it transmits from a bat to another animal, that animal is transported to Wuhan, and then it accelerates from there. That is speculation, just as anyone who says, well, oh, it could have been a leak from the lab is, is a certain amount of speculation. I mean, the, the only reason I ask is because I, I completely accept your view, but 
The other views are, firstly, that it's actually quite difficult to manipulate one virus into another, that there are significant differences in the sequences of the two viruses, the K versus what we call COVID-19. And so I think what the suggestion is from a lot of scientists is not that they know, but that they think actually that the lab theory is pretty unlikely if it's cave to lab via gain. Now, you're right. I mean, other scientists differ on that and say that it wouldn't be straightforward to do that. Certainly, when we spoke to Professor Richard Ebright, who's a US molecular biologist at Rutgers University in New Jersey, he's also a fellow of America's Infectious Disease Society, he actually believes that the work required to create COVID-19 from the mineshaft virus was identical to the work the Wuhan laboratory was doing in the past. I mean, his, his quote was, the very same techniques, the very same experimental strategies, using that virus as a starting point would yield a virus essentially identical to SARS-CoV-2. Do you think we'll actually ever know? I don't, actually. <laughs> I don't <laughs> see how we could possibly ever know, really. I suppose it's possible that they might find a cave where they find SARS-CoV-2, I suppose. How that got into Wuhan, I don't know. That gets to the heart of why we find that wildlife theory tricky. If it was an animal, how did it get all the way to Wuhan without causing a single noticeable outbreak along the way? I've yet to speak to a scientist who's come up with a plausible explanation of how that could happen. Well, maybe one of them will be listening to this and may have an answer. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, Jonathan Calvert and George Arbuthnot from the Sunday Times Insight team. Their book, Failures of State, the inside story of Britain's battle with coronavirus, will be published on the 18th of March. The producer was James Shield, the executive producer is Poppy Damon, and sound design was by James Shield and Tom Birchall. And if you can't get enough of the science of virus hunting, and I absolutely can't, next week I talk to one of the people tracking the new COVID variants. For now, have a good weekend. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.